0: Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and said, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him." And suppose to one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you. Even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless, i dust. Mm-hmm. This is the word of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God.
1: All right. Lord teach us to pray, uh, was what the disciples' uh, bold request of Jesus uh, was. And Jesus modeled a life of consistent prayer and the disciples took notice of this practice, realizing that they had a deficit. And so they could have asked for anything, but what they asked for in that moment was to be taught to pray and to pray like Jesus. They weren't asking anyone else. They didn't look to anyone else. They just turned to Jesus and they said, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? And so like students hungering for more knowledge, They heard Jesus' words and they put them into practice. Uh, And so we've been trying to do the same. And so our hopes really for this series are that you will learn to pray. If you don't know how to pray, that you would learn to pray. And then two, that you would strengthen your practice of prayer. So even if you have learned to pray, that you would strengthen it. And then three, that regardless of where you are at, that you would deepen your devotion to zealously abide in God. Now, uh, we've been using uh, a definition for prayer throughout these last uh, really just kind of three or two weeks and then uh, now going into the third week. And here's the definition. We said that prayer is calling on the name of the Lord to fulfill his covenant promises, calling on the name of the Lord to fulfill his covenant promises. But first I wanted to give you a reminder of Luke 11 uh, and the context of what is happening. Jesus is on his way from uh, from Galilee, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, and this is really just kind of the last journey that he takes before he is crucified. And so like any particular person, uh, even though he knows, no one else around him knows what's going on, you can you, we can now read uh, this journey or read about this journey and understand that these are Jesus's, kind of last words, final teachings, if you will, as he goes to the cross. And in this particular section is a section where Jesus is teaching his disciples various aspects of what their lives should look like after watching his life, walking with him and doing what he does. And so in short, what he's doing is really he's teaching them how to be disciples, his disciples in particular. And so what did they see Jesus doing? Pray. He did a lot of things, right? He healed, he, he rebuked, he, uh, I mean, there was a lot of things that he did in all of these stories, told parables, and he taught, but one of the things that Luke seems to draw out is that we see Jesus praying and praying in certain places, And so Luke 11 starts that way, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, or when he finished praying in a certain place. And it wasn't just this moment that was so compelling to the disciples. Jesus had a habit of prayer. And so uh, one of the questions that I have posed throughout this entire series is, uh, what was so compelling about Jesus's prayer that caused the disciples to ask Jesus teach us to pray. Like when they looked at his life, Uh, Like I said, it wasn't just this moment that we're reading about in Luke 11, but uh, that was compelling to to his disciples. We took a journey uh, one of these past weeks. We took a journey as to what Luke has to say about Jesus's uh, life of prayer, his habit of prayer, his faithfulness to prayer, his ability to pray without ceasing. And so what happened is that these disciples realized that they had a deficit when they compared their prayer life. that of Jesus's prayer life. And so what we have done is that we've talked through the possibility of prayer and the importance of prayer. And so today I want to work through the effectiveness of prayer, okay? But um, important to what we're going to talk about or, or to talk about prayer being effective, I want to remind you of two things regarding the importance of prayer because it's going to be important. We said that prayer is important in that, it addresses a good father whose authority is welcomed, okay? Jesus referred to the father, referred to Yahweh in the personal pronoun of our father. So when they said, teach us to pray, he said, this is how you should do it. And he begins with something that was so revolutionary for the disciples to hear because he started out with our father. It's not just a father because he's the creator and the source, but he's our relational and intimate father. And he is not a father who we said that is out to bait and switch you. He's a father who gives you the best gift of all, the Holy Spirit who comforts, guides, convicts and empowers you. And the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us through prayer. And so the father then has the authority to change your circumstance or outlook as you draw near to him. And so second, we said that prayer is important because prayer makes us aware of our need and dependence uh, on him. Self-sufficiency will cause our prayer life to be destroyed. And we said that if you believe, or if Satan causes you to believe that you are self sufficient within yourself, it will destroy your prayer life. Yeah. And so it's important then to rehearse desperation for the work that only God can do in our lives, which is to provide for us as we walk through the Lord's Prayer. We said that God provides for us, He forgives us, and He leads us, and He delivers us. And that's something that only God can do. We're not sufficient in and of ourselves to be able to do that for ourselves. And so as we dive into the effectiveness of prayer, it's important to know God's character, that he is a good father who has authority to change your circumstance. Or else what will happen is that when we read this, we will misunderstand the parable that Jesus gives. You see, at face value, what happens is that our eyes are immediately drawn to the friend and we try to determine if the friend, who lives in this house is a generous householder or is he a neighborly refuser? Let me point point this out. So let's read it again. Here's the the parable. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and and you go to him at midnight and said, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. You see, uh, reading it from the friend's perspective and inserting God's Uh, God into the role of the friend causes us to look at God as someone who can be inconvenienced. It causes us to look at the friend who doesn't want to be bothered and someone who essentially slumbers and sleeps. Given that we've already said that God is a good father whose authority is welcomed uh, and two weeks ago, we said that God's character is the gospel. We must come to understand that this parable isn't about God. Important to understand this parable is to remember who Jesus is talking to. Who is he talking to? It is to his disciples. It is to this disciples that this parable is directed towards. So we must read this parable from the perspective of the one coming to knock on the door and not from the perspective of the one who lives inside. Okay, you tracking? So when we read from this perspective, what immediately gets highlighted then is verse eight. I tell you, even though the friend who is inside will not come up, uh, get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And in this verse, you can't help but to be drawn to the phrase shameless audacity. That's what the NIV says. The ESV says impudence or persistence. The NASB or the NKJV says persistence or shamelessness. The CSB says, shameless boldness. The message says, stand your ground. The NLT says, shameless persistence. See, all of these give the picture of someone who has no shame in the way that they are seeking to ask and receive what they may have need of. Now, I'm just going to ask you guys... uh, whenever you remember Johnny's name or when Johnny comes up in your mind, I'm just going to ask you to pray for me. One of the things that grates on my nerves and Lauren is in here and so are my boys, so I'm going to say this in front of them. One of the things that grates on my nerves and I've been increasingly begging God to change is how my sons in particular consistently call on me by saying, dad, 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 hey, dad. Dad, dad, or when the answer to their request, hey, dad, can you buy me this? And I say no, then they proceed to shamelessly continue to ask and even get downright obstinate in order to change my mind. I mean, I I don't. I, I, there have been times where they have thrown themselves on the ground. They have cried and they have shed many alligator tears. Or, or my favorite is whenever they get angry and begin to yell in anger at their disagreement with my decision. All of those responses, all of those responses, cause me to shut down and even even more. And at times, even disciplines my sons because quote this is not how we act. Uh, oh, yet I am continually convicted as I reflect on it later in the day. And honestly, if I were to be honest, even as, as we were worshiping, um, I'm just continually, I'm even convicted about it now because what Jesus is teaching is he's he's teaching his disciples to do exactly that. He's teaching them to pray shamelessly. What he is saying is that he is saying, pester God with with what only he can do. He is encouraging us. I would actually say that he's inviting us and commanding us to draw near to him in prayer and saying, dad, 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 will you heal me? Dad, will, will you save me? Dad, will you deliver me? Dad, will you restore my relationship? Dad, come on, Dad. Dad, will you forgive me? And if praying is calling on the name of the Lord to fulfill his covenant promises, then he is also instructing us to draw near to God and say this, but you said you would fill in the blank. I can't tell you how many times I've promised something to my kids only to, in many ways, uh, not be a man of my word. And what happens is that they would say, but dad, you said that we would go and play at the park. And what God is, what Jesus is instructing his disciples to do through this parable is to pester him and annoy God. And he's inviting us into this to to have shameless audacity. And, and it, like I said, if prayer is calling on the name of the Lord, to keep his covenant promises, then the way that we should pray is to say, but God, you said you would fill in the blank.
0: Amen. Yes.
1: Now call to mind those prayers and petitions that you have given up on. We've already established that prayer is hard, yeah. that we live in a fallen world where we're incapable of fixing our own problems. Prayer is hard because it causes us, we said, to climb back up on the altar that we tend to crawl off of because of the difficulty that we experience when we are on the altar. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's not fun to be on that altar. As a matter of fact, to live your life as a living sacrifice uh, can be hard. (laughs) And prayer is hard because if we are real with ourselves, there are prayers that we've been praying for a long time that seem to go unanswered. See, Gary Millar helps us in the sentiment that we carry. He says, we fail to pray because there is something false or ridiculously unrealistic about much we have seen and heard. Many of us have been burned. We do not pray because we were told that prayer would fix everything and it did not. So we give up, we pray less. Yet I wanna show you that what Jesus is teaching his disciples in this parable that he tells us is that they need shameless audacity when praying. He says, pester me, annoy me, call on me, do it with audacity. Now, speaking of audacity, uh, one of the leaders, whenever I had the opportunity to be at Asbury, uh, made a statement that helped revolutionize my prayer life. Ready for the statement? Yes. He says, the Bible seems utterly unfamiliar with casual prayer. Prayer is simple, not casual. Now stop and consider what I'm saying. Let's go through how scripture shows that people are praying. Because if he's saying uh, the Bible seems utterly unfamiliar with casual prayer, that prayer is simple, not casual. Let's consider Jacob. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord to the point that the angel said, let me go for it is almost daybreak. And Jacob with shameless audacity said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Exodus tells us that the Israelite slaves groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help uh, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant. Moses was with God, speaking to him face to face as one man to another, and Moses had the shameless audacity to ask God to show him his face. In other words, Moses was saying, God, remove the clouds, remove the thunder, remove the lightning, let me see your face, he said. Elijah climbed on top of Mount Carmel. He bent down uh, to the ground and put his face between his knees to pray for relief from the drought. And this posture was the posture, uh, many, many theologians would say that this is the posture of a woman giving birth. Wow. Such was his shameless audacity. You see the psalmist sings Psalm 88 where he says Lord you are the God who saves me day and night I cry out to you my prayer may my prayer come before you turn your ear to my cry The criminal on the cross, if you consider him, had the shameless audacity to ask Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' reply was, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. As if scripture wasn't enough, let's go through some history. Tertullian, a church father, considered prayer a kind of holy violence to God. (laughs) Origen, in the second century, believed that to weeping and weeping alone, God will pay attention. In his confessions, Augustine, referring to his conversion, called himself a son of his mother's tears. John Chrysostom advocated for this type of prayer, this this weeping or this shameless audacity type of prayer, for with these tears, souls are planted, he says. Philip Melanchthon, praying for the healing of his friends, said, I attack the Almighty with his own weapons, quoting from Scripture all the promises I could remember, that prayer should be granted, and said that he must grant my prayer if I was to henceforth put faith in his promises. The Puritan Richard Siebes held to the kind of prayer where he described it as wrestling with God that will prevail at length and we shall have such a sight of him. John Knox is credited as praying with shameless audacity when he is, when he is known to cry out, give me Scotland lest I die, he would say. And so audacious were his prayers that his enemy, the Mary, Queen of Scots, later said to him, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than the army of 10,000 men. Jonathan Edwards and Charles Finney believed it was not irreverent. Listen, they believed it was not irreverent to be obstinate, to grapple, to take up the blessed struggle of prayer. Mm -hmm. And so here's the point I'm trying to make. What makes prayer effective are not eloquent words or the right words put in specific order. What makes prayer effective is when we come before God with shameless audacity to call on him to fulfill the promises that he has made. You see, reputation is the first thing to go in this kind of praying. It is shameless. It is getting more undignified than this in the presence of God. Now, I know that I, I'm, I'm speaking this way. And as I was getting this ready, even uh, it doesn't, didn't matter for me how many people were going to be here. Because what I wanted to get across was this idea of shameless audacity that Jesus is teaching his disciples to have. And so, when we consider all of these prayers that maybe have gone unanswered uh, here's the here's the the introspective question that I want to ask: Have you given up because either you're tired of shameless having the shameless audacity or two, you didn't know? that you should enter in with shameless audacity. And either way, this is a call for us today to be able to yeah. renew and to be able to say, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up and entering in and pestering God and annoying God and saying, God, but you said that you would. So Lord, we just we just ask God that you would Renew in us a desire to continue praying in this way, God. God, we ask that you would renew in us the strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to intercede, Lord, until we see you flex, until we see you move. Lord, would you... Would would you increase in us the desire, the hunger, the thirst, the desperation to see you move the way that we have described these other people that have gone before us to move? Now, I want to go back to the parable that Jesus gave. You see, he ends his parable by stating in verse eight. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, I don't want to belabor this point. I don't want to like keep going down uh, this this thought, but uh, it's the only thought that I had at the time. and, And at some point it breaks down, but let me just say this. I am guilty of giving into my sons of Crew, Knox, and Zane. Like whenever they're in the middle of Target and they're begging for a particular toy with shameless audacity. Now, I wish that I could say it was because I am a good father. But the truth is, is that I give them what they want because I I, as their earthly father, want them to be quiet. I want them to stop crying. I want them to stop begging. I want them to stop making me look bad in the store. Just full confession. And Jesus even addresses this disposition of my own heart. You see, we talked about last week that in verse 11, he, Jesus asked, which of you fathers, if your son asks you for something, will you give him something else instead? Which of you will bait and switch your son's? But then in verse 13, he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, God's heart, the father's heart is holier than mine. His motives are more pure than mine. There is something about a broken, contrite heart that God cannot despise. There's something about learned desperation that is not annoying to God. So y'all, I'm just gonna say this, that I think it's time for us to revive the prayers that we've given up on. The prayers for healing, the prayers for restoration, the prayers for salvation, the prayers for provision. That we would be audacious in our request that we would shamelessly remind God of his promises, that he has not forgotten, but let our prayers be as though he has. He will never slumber nor sleep. He will never forget his covenant promises. But there is a shameless audacity that rises up that makes prayer effective because essentially what you are doing is that you're saying, God, I'm in complete and total desperation of who you are. And so I, I wanna I want to do this uh, real quick. Now, I believe that there is, uh, I wanted to encourage us throughout this series just to, with this imperative, and the imperative is pray. But I also wanna orient us around something that, I believe is important now. As we were in our time of worship, I, here's the picture that I got and I was debating about whether or not I should start it, start this sermon this way or if I should end it this way. And I just felt like I needed to end it this way. And I got this picture as I was just kind of, uh, just in that final moment where Mel just said, I just think we need to linger here a little bit more. And it was this picture of a javelin, like a like a spear. And on the end was like this really heavy metal. And uh, I've the closest I've come to a frozen lake is uh, one time it got really, really, I mean, really cold here and our pool in our backyard froze over. <laughs> and so it froze to about like a foot, you know, a foot deep. And I just remember like, you know, thinking, oh, our pool's going to mess up. But more than that, that's like the closest I've come. That's the point I'm trying to make. So, I got this picture of the Lord just kind of some a man taking this metal pointed javelin and just starting to break up the ice mm-hmm. and break up the coldness that's there mm-hmm. and when you do that eventually the you get to the bottom, and what happens then is that um uh you know ice doesn't necessarily sink; it just kind of floats, mm-hmm. but what happens whenever you punch that hole or you break it apart. Uh, water comes to the surface. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. And so I just sense that there's something here that the Lord is just yes, wanting yes. us to just rest and rest assured in this. Yes. That there's that there's water that is going to spring forth. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even gonna ask you, I'm not even gonna interpret because I, I I don't believe that the man who is breaking up the ice is actually us mm-hmm. or any one of you breaking up the ice. Mm-hmm. I believe that the ice is honestly our own hearts, yeah. and that it is God's responsibility. It is Him who is coming in and breaking up the ice. He's breaking up, or even as uh, the prophet Hosea would say, he would he would say, "Break up the fallow ground." And I think that there is an invitation here uh, from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, to just see ourselves in the in the coldness and in the in the and the uh, hardness of what this ice uh, represents, but the breaking up of the ice isn't to hurt us, isn't to uh, it, 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 it isn't to destroy us. The breaking up of the ice is to cause water to spring forth, and when water springs forth, it it causes uh, other things to be watered and life to come forth. At some point, this breaks down. But here's the point that I'm trying to make. I believe that there's something that the Lord is wanting to do among us here and among Ecclesia to break the ice so that water can spring forth. Hmm. And it is a shameless audacity to sit there and just say, Lord, break up the ice that has built up, that has kept your water from springing forth. And so let me just say this, like in moments like that of worship, like the kind that we had today, that's a, that's, that's an opportunity there to not only worship the Lord, but there comes, there's something about those moments that there comes a point in time and and you can kind of sense the shift. And what happens usually is that you either step into it or uh, you kind of sit down and pray. But when that shift happens, I believe that that is an invitation from the Lord to enter in and and begin to intercede on behalf of your own life and the life of those that are sitting around you in that moment. That as worship is going, Mel gets up and she's trying to transition. And then she just says, I just want to linger here. I think we need to linger. Those are moments that I believe that the Holy Spirit just uses to soften us up. To break apart whatever is is hard, and to tenderize us so that we would, we would just give ourselves over to Him. And I think that this is that night. As we were praying pre- before the service, we just kind of sensed this shift that would happen. And I truly believe. And I just want to, I just want to say it out loud here. I do believe that there is a, a, a shift, a change that is going to be led of the Spirit. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like, but here's what we need to do is to, is in shameless audacity, mm-hmm. ask the Lord to show us what that means.
0: Yes. Come on.
1: And so what I wanna do is I, I want us to pray for one another's needs um, that, that of those that are in this room and those that are not, hey, they missed out on being prayed for. Uh, in this room, but we will continue to pray for them. But here's what what I want us to do is I want us just to go around and just just say, hey, this is what I need prayer on. And we're gonna spend the next 20 minutes or so just praying for one another. And so just to give some direction, what we're gonna do is, um, Lauren, if you would start just with a need and then the person to the right is going, or the person to your left, right, is gonna pray for you. Okay, so Lauren, you'll pray for Mel, so on and so forth. Yeah, and so um, why don't we share needs and then and then we'll pray and let's pray with shameless audacity.